This message was recorded at North 2009, an event organised by Christ Central, part of New Frontiers. You can find out more about Christ Central by visiting our website, ChristCentralChurches.org. It's so good being part of a team. It's so good being part of brothers and sisters who are dwelling together in unity and are hearing God. I don't know about you, but I can hear God on my own, but quite often I hear God much louder, much more amplified through others, through community, through people together. So in coming to North, I want you to know that I take this responsibility, uh, and I really do take this very seriously. I really do take the impartation of the Word of God and the prayer and the application and the demonstration of the Spirit very, very, I feel it very strongly and uh, I've been praying about these evenings what we should bring and what I should particularly impart and I felt God over the last six months has been talking to me out of a verse of the Bible that interestingly enough was the very first prophecy that I was given at the age of 16. My parents took me to one side and said we think this prophecy is for you and it's kind of lived with me for I guess some 30 something years And I felt God again drew me back to it. Interestingly enough, this very verse was mentioned dozens of times uh, at the Brighton Conference. We had it displayed on our screens every night, although it probably wasn't specifically referred to a lot. It was visually there. It is, in fact, the prophecy that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Way, way back, many centuries ago. Not long after the Bible began, Jacob lived in a land of Canaan, a fine example of a family man. Actually, it's at that point that Andrew Lloyd Webber goes wrong. I'm not convinced that Jacob was a fine example of a family man. In fact, he seems to consistently favour his son Joseph, as even this prophecy probably does. The others don't get quite such a good word as Joseph gets. But what is interesting to me is two people. One, Roger By. In my home, we gathered a team to pray for North, to pray and plan and strategize for what we're doing. And as I started to pray about this verse, Roger said, well, that's just amazing. I've got to Genesis 49 in my daily readings through the Bible, and I've just got my bookmark in that, and I felt to bring that verse to you for North. And then, I don't know if you listen, because you kind of listen to these things as a preacher. I love what David said about Philippa. He said, I was going to marry her anyway. I was going to ask her anyway. Well, not marry her anyway, ask her anyway. She might have said no, of course. I was going to ask her anyway. God then gave me extraordinary confirmation of that. I was going to preach on this anyway, but I felt Roger gave me confirmation of that. And then this morning, Ginny, standing on this very platform, gave that magnificent word, going through Bible character after Bible character, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then when she got to Joseph, it was the only time, because I listened, it's the only time she actually quoted a verse of Scripture, and she quoted this verse of Scripture, which I'm going to read to you now. Anne and Julian go to Ginny, do you know what Jeremy's preaching on? She goes, no, what's he preaching on? I said, we're not going to tell you. (laughs) Well, I'm preaching on this verse, Ginny, that you quoted this morning, Genesis 49, verse 22, and it says this, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb 
all over a wall. And perhaps for those of you who are not used to preaching, you think, how on earth are you going to get a message out of that? Well, I tell you, I'm going to get two messages out of this. We're going to have this tonight. Tonight, I'm going to be talking about what it is to be the fruitful vine planted near a spring. And tomorrow, we're going to look at branches climbing all over the wall. Lord Jesus, we honour your presence. Holy Spirit, we're so grateful that you've come tonight to glorify the one that we love. Thank you so much how Alan led us into the very throne room of heaven, knowing, Lord Jesus, that you're carrying us on your, <laughs> your very breastplate, as it were, carrying us on your shoulders, bearing us before the Father. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that we're in you tonight. We thank you, Lord, for that. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, please come tonight. Please let this word live. And I don't just want it to be a word of information or a word that entertains or a word that speaks. I want it to be a word that changes us here in the north, that we might be more and more a people full of the Spirit, that we might be more and more those who go up and over the wall in Jesus' name. Amen. don't know if you know, but the vine is a very common image in the Bible. It's very popular. It was a common experience for anyone who lived in the Middle East at that time to know what a vine was. There aren't many vines in the north. For a kind of obvious reason, you need quite a lot of heat to see a vine develop and produce grapes. Where we used to live in the south, uh, I don't want to rub this in, of course, but where we used to live in the south, there were quite a few vineyards around Hastings, and those sort of areas. Apparently, global warming's going to bring them our way anyway, so that's going to be a good thing. But if you noticed in the Middle East, you would find that there were vines everywhere. There'd be a vine in your garden. There'd be a vine down your street. There you walk into a field, you'd find a whole load of vines. So when Joseph is referred to as a fruitful vine, there would kind of be some understanding of what that would be. Also, The vine was a very common, you might say, motif or symbol for Israel. If you took a coin out, you would see that on the coin would be a vine. If you looked at the temple gates, you would see emblazoned on the temple gates a vine. And most importantly, it seems to be one of God's favourite images for his people. God often refers to Israel as a vine. He refers to them as a chosen vine, a planted vine, lovingly and carefully tended by him. And that he wanted very good fruit from them. He expected good fruit. God expects good fruit. He's a good gardener. He's a good cultivator. He expects good fruit. And he expected from Israel there to be wonderful fruit, first of all for him, because ultimately fruit is for him, but then fruit to the nations that would go over walls, which would extend his kingdom into other nations. Unfortunately, Israel consistently failed, consistently did not produce that fruit. So we get verses like this in Jeremiah 2.21. No need to turn to it, I'll read it. It says this, the Lord prophesies, I planted you, Israel, like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt and wild vine? And we get other scriptures where God says, and I'm going to prune you back. I'm going to cut you back. 
but. And you always get these amazing buts in Scripture. You always get these amazing promises. But one day, from this same vine, from this same stock, from this same root of faith, is going to come a new shoot. It's going to come a new vine. It's going to come a vine that will fulfil fruitfulness to God, that will fruit over walls. We get promises like this in Isaiah 11, 1 to 3. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. That's David's father. This is the Davidic. This is another one of these heroes of the faith. Ginny mentioned this morning. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Well, who is this fruitful vine? Who is this one that's coming from the house of David, from the stump of Jesse? Of course, it's prophetically speaking of the Lord Jesus. And when Jesus came, he said to his disciples in that wonderful moment of self-disclosure, he says, I am the true vine. This is speaking, this prophecy that Jacob speaks over Joseph, not even realising, is actually prophetically echoing our Lord Jesus. As so much of the Word of God in the Old Testament does, pre-shadowing, foretelling, typing, giving example of Jesus. Who is this fruitful vine? It is the Lord Jesus. John 15 verse 1, I am the true vine. But Jesus goes on to say something even more amazing than that. I mean, that would be amazing. It would be amazing enough to me to find out that this Lord Jesus is the true vine of God. He goes on to say, and you are intimately involved with this. You are the branches. You are joined right into me. I am the vine, you are the branches. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. I would say that the apostolic revelation of the New Testament, as you read, as Arnold was saying, page after page after page of the New Testament, the revelation that comes across for me with power, with authority, with amazement, is that we are a new people and we are in Christ. That we are not just following a new code. It's not just a new belief system. It's not just, well, I used to believe that about Jesus. Now I believe this about Jesus. Neither is it a new behaviour. Well, I used to behave like that. Now I behave like this. It's actually a new birth. Something's happened to us. We are radically changed. In fact, I love what Paul says in Romans 11:24. He kind of uses this same imagery of a vine or a shrub or a branch or a bush. He says this, Romans 11:24. You were you were cut out of a tree that was wild by nature. How many of you were wild by nature? Some of you are. All of us were wild by nature. We were cut out of that tree and grafted into a cultured tree. Isn't that lovely? We're grafted into Christ. Something amazing has happened. Ephesians 1 verse 13. You were included in Christ when you heard the word of your salvation. Something amazing. I mean, I think 
we don't quite grasp this. We don't quite get hold of the radical nature of the new birth. What incredibly has happened to us as a people where we've been taken out of the world, we've been taken out of Adam, we've been taken out of the natural order of things and we've been placed into a kingdom of the Son He loves. In fact, we've been placed into Christ and we are now a supernatural people. A people who are called to bear fruit. Therefore, what Andy and Julian described earlier is commonplace for us. We experience supernatural lifestyle all the time. We're going to see more of it, more fruit, more healings, more people getting saved and wonderfully restored to God. We're going to see more families restored, more single parents coming to Christ. We're going to see more orphans finding the fatherhood of God. We're going to see people finding their love and security in the Lord Jesus. Why? Because we're a supernatural people. That's who we are. That's, we're not trying to be something. I'm not here tonight to say, now can you believe it with me? Come on, power of positive thought. Come on, we've just got, if we could only believe this. Listen, it is true. It happens. You have the power of a supernatural life already flowing through your veins. You're already joined to Christ. You don't need to come to the front tonight and have Julian Adams lay hands on you for an in Christ experience. I need to have an experience of being in Christ. Well, you might do that. We call that being born again. But if you are born again, you are in Christ. Let me tell you this. I woke up this morning, a little grumpy, (laughs) not enough sleep, a couple of glasses of wine last night. (laughs) I did say drink wine. (laughs) kind of thought I should be obedient to my own word. But I woke up In the natural, I knew I was British. Do you know what? It never crossed my mind that I might be a little French. It never crossed my mind that I might feel a little African. Never crossed my mind. I'm British. I know I'm British because I was born in Britain. Can't change that. It's a fact of my life. It happened to me once upon a time. I due to circumstances that were way beyond my control, I was born in Britain 46 years ago. I know. Listen. Some 40, 38 years, 40 years ago, something else happened to me. I was born again. I was born in Christ. And just as I don't wake up wondering whether I'm of another nationality. Neither do I wake up wondering, am I in him today? Am I in Christ today? Have I done enough to maintain? No! He took me out of Adam and placed me into Christ. He rooted me in the vine. And that's where I am now today. That's where you are now today. We are in the vine. We are a supernatural people joined to Jesus. Joseph is a fruitful vine. Christ is a fruitful vine. We, in Christ, are fruitful vines. So how do we become fruitful? I love what David started off this morning with. His very first PowerPoint slide. I haven't got PowerPoint slides, I'm afraid. I am the slide. He started off by saying, the first slide said, passion for Jesus. He said, how do we bear fruit? How does that happen? 
Well, let me give you three ways that it happens. Number one, fruitfulness comes from enjoying a living relationship with Jesus. Enjoying a living relationship with Jesus. John 15, and a lot of this is going to come out of John 15, as well as this passage in Genesis. John 15, verse 5, Jesus says this, and this used to worry me, this kind of scripture when I first read it. He says, if you remain in me, you will produce much fruit. And I thought, oh dear, I've got to remain in him then. I've got to do something about that. I've got to remain. I'm remaining. I'm in you today, I'm remaining. I think I was in you yesterday. I really hope I'm in you today. Fingers crossed, touch wood, I'll be in you tomorrow. No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean stay in him as if I could move out of him. In fact, actually, I can't move out of him. Nothing can pluck me from his hand. Do you know why? I am his hand. I'm the very body of Christ. I can't be taken from him. I'm in the vine. I'm rooted in to him. But this word, remain, it means something different to what I thought it meant. It means this. It means to to dwell in, to rest in, to be at home with. Now, that's different. I can, with Anne, we've been married 26 uh, 26 years, next month or so. Just last year celebrated our 25th. I know what it's like to dwell, to remain, to be at home with, to relax with. And I also know what it's like not to. <laughs> they are two very different feelings. We're still married. Been married for 25 years. But I know what it's like to dwell, to relax, to enjoy. Or not. Now that's what it's talking about. It says, are you at home with Jesus? Are you red hot in your passion for him? Are you aligning yourself with his will and purpose for your life? Are you living for him? That's what it's saying. Now it's not talking about doing stuff for him. It's talking about relating to him. See, I love the picture of Mary and Martha. So often preachers will use this, so often you've heard dozens of sermons on this, but Mary and Martha, those two beautiful sisters, communing with their friend Jesus. Martha, in the kitchen, cluttering away, doing the washing up, making, you know when you do, I do this, you know when you do the washing up and you really don't want to, you bang it and you're doing stuff. You've never done that. But that's what she's doing, making lots of noise in the kitchen, demonstrating that she's really serving Jesus, really happy about it. Because Mary is very different. Mary is sitting at his feet, just listening, just worshipping, just loving. And when Martha comes to complain, Jesus said, you'd think Jesus would go, oh, Martha, you're such an unsung hero. We do that, don't do it, they can. We go, oh, those who serve, so oh, unsung, thank you, you don't get the applause. Let me just stand up and applaud you, Martha. One, he doesn't, he says, do you know what, Martha? Mary's chosen the better option. <laughs> and I agree, totally. <laughs> <laughs> Mary's chosen the better option to sit at his feet and enjoy him and relax in his very presence. It is amazing to me that one of the images of the Christian, one of the truths that comes out so powerfully in the Bible, is that we are not just in relationship with Jesus, but that we are somehow intertwined in a marriage relationship perhaps an engagement at this stage to be consumed at the end of the ages. <laughs> when the wedding supper of the Lamb, when the bride of Christ in her fullness and splendour will be presented to him. 
But now we're in this beautiful betrothal engagement period. I love what it says in Romans 7 verse 4. This is the Living Bible. Arnold would not thank me for quoting it, but I will anyway. You are now married to the one who rose from the dead so that you could produce good fruit. Do you like that? You're married, kind of I think probably betrothed would be, might be a better one, or joined with. We're joined with the one who rose from the dead. This resurrection power is not something that we celebrate at an event that happened 2,000 years ago. This resurrection power is here now, life for us. And we're married to that one. Why? What is it? How? What's the point? So that we might produce fruit for God. The heart of this new relationship is intimacy, joining us as one with Jesus. And now, Jesus, as our life-giving husband, imparts life to us. See, that's what he does. He imparts life. We were getting that through one of the prophetic words tonight, about him giving us his love, him giving us his joy, him giving us his peace. I'm going to preach this stuff. He imparts life. You see, the law has no power to impart life. See, that's what it says in Galatians 3.21. If a law, if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly come by the law. But have you noticed it? The law cannot, does not impart life. You bring the donuts in. And you say, do not covet the donuts. Now, come on, don't covet the donuts. Don't look lustfully at these donuts. Don't be greedy about these. Don't do it. Do you know what happens? Actually, the opposite. In fact, the law doesn't impart life. It actually imparts death to me. Because I go, do you know what? I didn't realise I was lustful about those donuts. I didn't realise that I actually was greedy for those donuts. I didn't realise it until you kind of told me I shouldn't be. Now, all I want is a donut. The law can't impart life. It just says you can't, you shouldn't, you ought not to. And all that does is make me feel dead. Because I can't obey it. But Jesus is a life-imparting husband. He brings life to us. He imparts life to us. He gives us his very life. So let me look at these verses in John 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, whoa, I mean, eternal Son of the eternal Father, darling of heaven, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. He imparts love to us. This life-giving husband imparts something. He's doing it tonight. I'm going to do a lot more. John 15, verse 11. I've told you this, that my joy might be in you. I impart his joy to us. Lovely prophetic interpretation earlier about the joy of God. Ha, ha, ha. Coming upon us. The joy he imparts. The life he imparts to us. John 14, verse 27. My peace I give to you. He imparts it. He gives it. He is a life-giving husband. We are in the vine. We are relaxing, resting, enjoying our Lord Jesus. And he's imparting life, 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 life. It's just coming to us. It's wonderful what Christ does for us. Now, in case you think this is passive, I want you to know that this changes you. Love, it changes everything. Is that an Andrew Lloyd Webber? Am I preaching from, am I preaching from the canon of Lloyd Webber or the, or the canon of the Bible? It does. It changes everything. I mean, it really does. It really does. It changes absolutely everything. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. It demands it. 
Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. I think sometimes we don't get the tone of the Bible. I don't think he said, if you love me, you better keep my commandments. If you love me, yeah, if you really do. I think he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. See, there's two things that I really don't like. One is shopping. The other is letting go of my money while shopping. Because the two kind of go together, don't they? You don't get shopped for entertainment. I wish you could. It's not that entertaining. But it usually involves letting go of quite a lot of money at the same time, both of which I find difficult. I'm not a happy shopper. I'm not the sort of person that you want to take out on a shopping trip. I don't like it. Anne's learned that she goes out and does the shopping without me. I don't get involved with that. I'm not good at it. However, at Christmas, I spend two, sometimes two, very happy days in York, usually, Alan, where I spend a lot of money and do a lot of shopping for the one I love. Now, <laughs> with Anne. It is not a hardship for me to do that. It is not even if it's raining or snowing. I mean, I'm getting out this money, I'm letting go, get another credit card. No, it's, it's joy to do that. Why? Because I'm motivated by the one I love. I'm motivated for the one I love. Years ago, I learned this little ditty, and it goes like this, little rhyme. I believe it was written by John Bunyan, the man who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, the great allegory of the Christian faith. And this is the rhyme. It goes like this. Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives me neither legs nor arms. Better news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. Isn't that wonderful? That's what Jesus does to us. He is a life-imparting husband. He changes us and gets us to change our behaviour, not because we have to, not because we ought to, that's the law, but because we love him. And I want to encourage you to line up with David's word this morning. Have passion for Jesus. Let the love of Christ abide in our hearts. Let's be motivated by the love of God. The second thing is by receiving his word. It's interesting enough, David mentioned all these three. As he was preaching this one, I thought, blow blow. <laughs> Actually, I thought, praise God. By receiving the word of God. So how do we get fruitful? Number one, by enjoying a living relationship with Jesus. Number two, by receiving his word. John 15, 7 to 10. If you remain in me and my word um, remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. I mean, don't you wish? That's kind of like childhood fairyland. Rub the bottle. You have one wish, anything you... No, we give anything we ask. I mean, it's amazing. But what does it say? If, kind of conditional, if you remain in me, that's dwelling in me, and my word dwells in you, my word is remaining in you, then you can ask whatever you wish. It'll be given to you, because it'll be motivated by the word, you see. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love and rest in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands, and remain in his love. You see, God is speaking to us all the time. See, some people say to me, I, that, you must as people hear people say this, they go, I think God is trying to say something to me. 
I mean, that is such a weird thing. Like God going, Master, I'm trying to say something, but I can't quite get it out of my mouth. No. Listen, God is not trying to say anything. God is speaking. Christ is the Word of God. He is speaking all the time. We're trying to listen. I mean, we don't always tune in to his broadcast, but there's no problem with heaven's transmitter. There's no problem with his speaking to us by the Spirit. He speaks to us all the time. The Word of God. See, Jesus said this, man doesn't live by bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. He's speaking all the time. Why is he saying that? Daily bread. That's what you eat every day, bread. He says, man doesn't live by daily bread, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. It implies daily receiving. Now, I am not saying to you, you must have a quiet time every day where you read the passage. I mean, that's just dull. Where you've got to read a passage. Was it just me? It's not, I've got to. I've got a hunger to hear him speak. I want to hear... I mean, I, David's my friend. I looked forward and am looking forward to his next two sessions. I look forward to this morning's session. I didn't say, I've got to hear David speak. And that's just David. This is the Lord. I love hearing him speak. He speaks through his word very loud and very clear to us. If you want to know more about this, I do recommend Arnold's seminar tomorrow. He's going to be speaking on us being transformed daily by the Word. That we're changed by this as we look into this. See, people go, oh, I'm not sure about that in the Bible. And they judge the Bible. Do you know what? It's the opposite for me. I don't feel I judge the Bible. I actually feel, I go, oh, my word. (laughs) Is that what you say? Look, is that what you think about that? G.K. Chesterton, somebody said to him, are you worried about the bits about bits in the Bible that you don't understand. He said, I'm not worried about the bits in the Bible that I don't understand. I'm worried about the bits that I do understand. <laughs> Listen, he speaks. His voice is tender. His voice is firm. His voice is affirming. And his voice comes with discipline sometimes. But he's speaking to us all the time. I want to encourage you, if we are going to be a fruitful people, and I believe with all my heart we are, we need to be motivated, stirred, fed, encouraged, propelled by the very Word of God. It says in Colossians 3, verse 16, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, do you remember what dwell means? Relax. Let the Word be at home in you. Is the Word at home in you? The very next verse that David stopped at from Revelation said, And behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now, all the great evangelists use that for evangelistic impact. Christ is knocking at the door of your heart. Actually, it's in that context of passion for Jesus and not being lukewarm, but being red hot for him. He says, now I'm coming to you. I'm coming, I'm standing at the door. Can I dwell? Can the word of God dwell in you? Can I come and be at home in you? It says in Psalm 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. Now, the law doesn't mean thou shalt not, thou shalt. It means the word. Blessed is the man who delights in the word of God. And on the word he meditates day and night. He's like a... Does this sound familiar? He's like a tree planted by streams of water 
which yield fruit in its season and its leaf doesn't wither. The similar passage in Jeremiah 17, 7-8. Blessed! You want to be blessed? Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. I'm amazed at the life of Joseph. We're going to look into Joseph a little bit more tomorrow, but I'm amazed at the life of Joseph. He lived in a furnace. He lived in a drought. He lived in a time where everything seemed to go wrong for him. His family betrayed him. His brothers sold him. His slave employer abused him and lied about him and cheated and got him imprisoned illegally. In prison he gets forgotten, even by those he tries to help. Everything seems to go wrong for Joseph, and yet it says of Joseph, his, he is a fruitful vine. He was fruitful in all those places. He was fruitful in Potiphar's house. He rose to become the chief in charge of the whole household. He was fruitful in prison. He rose to be in charge of the whole prison. And later he's fruitful on a world stage. Why? Because his roots went down deep into the family promises. Now our roots are going to go down deep into the family promises. And finally, by receiving God's Spirit. How are we going to be fruitful? By enjoying our living relationship with Jesus. By receiving God's Word. And finally, by receiving God's Spirit. A fruitful vine near a spring. Streams, streams of living water in the Bible are almost always, almost always a metaphor, an allegory, a picture for the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 44 verse 3, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Do you know one of the things that really concerns me? One of the things that really is starting to bug me at the moment, can I, can I, I just need to get this off my chest, because it really is, it, there's this polarisation happening at the moment. I'll probably get into trouble for some of the things I say today. Wait for it, I'll get into more trouble for some of the things I'm going to say tomorrow. But there's a polarisation happening at the moment in our ranks. And you may have even been tempted to think this way. Even our terminology is very unhelpful. We talk about the Word and the Spirit. Or we talk about they're more of a Word guy. Or that's more of a Word church. Or they're more of a Spirit church. See, the Word guys, well, they're kind of into Reformation and uh, they're kind of uh, cerebral and they're kind of into Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones and uh, they're kind of into Tim Keller and they're kind of into Mark Driscoll, and that's the word lot. And then there's this really weird lot. I mean, you think they're up there? Weird. These lot are into the spirit. They're kind of Pentecostal, charismatic nutters. And, you know, they used to, they used to love John Wimber. You know, they, they were all into Wimber. Then they were all into Toronto. Now they're all into Bill Johnson. I mean, they're weird. You know, they've got these two... Which camp are you in? Listen, there is no camp like that. The Word and the Spirit are joined. 
There is a marriage of the Word and the Spirit. And that which God has put together, let no man put asunder. It's very important we understand this. See, the Word of God is not facts. The Word of God is not doctrine on a page. The Word of God is a person. He lives. His name is Jesus. He is the Word of God. And He is in perfect unity and fellowship with the Spirit of God. I mean, it's so clear to me. We mustn't talk about this polarisation as if they're two different things, as if we can divide God, Word and Spirit. He's one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. And we must hold to these things. I mean, I love this. I've just been meditating a lot in John 14, 15, 16. This, you come to this bit. This is John 16, 13 to 15. It says, how, listen how Trinitarian this is. When the Spirit comes, He will guide you into all truth. He, this is Jesus speaking, He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. How are we going to understand the Word of God? By the Spirit. He was the one who breathed this in the first place. It's God-breathed. It's spirited. How are we going to understand it? By the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.12 We've received the Spirit who is from God that we may understand what God has freely given to us. We cannot even understand a word of this unless the Spirit inspires it. Unless the Spirit makes it live to us. Stop it. Stop this, this... This divorcing of word and spirit, let's bring it together. Let's bring, let's unite together what God has united together. The church, the early church, did not start by the power of Greek logic. It did not. It was not a clever argument. It wasn't a better reason, a better doctrine, a better argument. It was not by clever argument. It was by the demonstration of the power of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 4-5 My message and my preaching, Paul says, were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. The Word of God is to be preached in the power of the Spirit with demonstrations. We're going to see tonight demonstrations of the Spirit's power. We're going to see the Word of God produces that. This is the word. It produces power. It doesn't return to him void. It doesn't go, that one didn't work. Try this one tomorrow. No, the word of God produces power. It produces a demonstration of changed lives. Let's finish by reminding ourselves how Jesus told us to receive the Spirit. David was so funny this morning. didn't even know I got it. <laughs> but Jesus does tell us how to receive the Spirit. He says this, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He talks about transformation. He's talking about changing things. How are we going to do that? How are we going to be a people where the river of God flows from us? Because we're a drinking people. Jesus says this, if any man's thirsty, are you thirsty? Are you red hot for God as David was preaching this morning, are you lukewarm? 
Are you thirsty? Not, oh, if you like then. I suppose I'm going to know where this is going. Appeal. Anyone not baptised in the Spirit over that side? Anyone over that side? I suppose, if you want, I mean, I, I agreed to come. I suppose I'd better agree to have a sweaty hand put on my head. Listen, do you know what you'll get? If, you, if that's all you do, you'll just get swine flu. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't say that. We have to do our hands. If you, it, I love it. I love it. One of the things we've been praying for with all passion and all heart is we might see healings here. In the list that you were given as you walked in or drove into the campsite, it says how to avoid swine flu. Don't touch ill people. That's what it said. It said, don't, don't touch ill people. Listen, we're going to touch ill people and they're going to get, we're not going to get swine flu, they're going to get healed. See, that's what Je- see, Je- it's Jesus, they said, don't touch the leper, you'll get leprosy. Jesus said, let's have a look then. Let's see who has the stronger power. Let's see, is it the divine life flowing through my veins or is it this leprosy thing? Right, let's have a contest. Oh, leprosy goes, does it? Right, we know who's boss now. Listen, we're going to see demonstrations of the Spirit's power. If you're thirsty, it says come to Jesus. Now, this is so important because we do believe in laying on of hands. It's thoroughly biblical. But it's not the person laying on the hands that is imparting something to you. It's the Lord Jesus through them. We come to Jesus. He, John the Baptist said, whoa, look at that one. He said, I only baptise with water, but he is going to baptise you with the Holy Spirit. It's the promise of the Father. He's going to come and give you the Holy Spirit. So don't come and say, well, I want Julian to pray. Or any of them, any one of us can do this. All of God's children, all disciples can do this, actually. Lay hands on the sick, see them healed. Lay hands on people and see them baptised in the Spirit. It's not just for some special few. Now, of course, we want to train and equip and do things properly, but we're not coming to ministry team. We're coming to Jesus. We're coming to him. We're not coming to a conference. We're not coming to New Frontiers. We're coming to Jesus who gives the Spirit freely. If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and what? See, drinking, I have found that drinking isn't that hard. I've been doing it since I was a very little child. In fact, it's probably the first thing that I learned to do apart from cry. To drink. It's, it's not complicated. We get so spiritual, or super spiritual about this. People say, I don't know how to receive the Spirit. You do. The same way that you receive Christ, by faith. That's how you receive the Spirit. It says in Galatians 3, verse 2, Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or believing what you heard? No, you received it by believing, by faith. That's how you receive the Spirit. Ephesians 1 verse 13. Having believed, Paul says, you were marked with the promised Holy Spirit. How did you get the mark of the promised Holy Spirit? You believed. You received with faith. In the same way that an eight-year-old boy in a tent in East Sussex said, Jesus, will you come into my life and make me new? The same 16-year-old boy eight years later, unfortunately, said, I receive now the Holy Spirit. Drinking is really easy, look. It's not hard. You don't say, O water of life, wouldst thou now come up 
supernaturally, I'm not feeling anything yet, wouldst thou come up and even unto my lips impart this? No, you grab hold of it and you drink. Have any of you here got a rich Auntie Ethel? I wish. <clears throat> Listen, it's your birthday. And you know that every year, rich Auntie Ethel, who is amazing for her age, firstly, she seems to know, almost supernaturally, exactly what you need. And secondly, she seems to have unlimited financial resources. Whatever you need, rich Auntie Ethel seems to better procure. She's, I don't know how she gets it, but she gets it for you. On your birthday, you wake up. Your birthday has come. Anticipation is rising in your heart. She never fails. The postman rings the bell. You open the door eagerly. He's standing there with an amazing parcel. You even recognise the wrapping. You think it's the same wrapping she used last year. Rich Auntie Ethel's come good. It looks big this year. It's very exciting. You look and you see, yes, the label is from Rich Auntie Ethel. You recognise her writing and you say to the postman, fine, leave it round the back with a dustbin. I'll pick it up later. No, you don't. You say, thank you. I'll receive that. Luther said we receive Christ with hands of faith. Listen, tonight, we're going to reach out hands of faith. And we're going to receive, not something from rich Auntie Ethel, but from the Lord Jesus who reigns in all riches, in whom is all authority, who knows supernaturally what we need and has the resources to give it to us. And he is going to impart to us, through his body, because that's how he works, the life of his spirit. We're going to see amazing impartations of the spirit. In a moment, I'm going to ask Julian to come. And we're going to together lead you into this. I'm not asking you tonight to come and say, will you pray for me? I need some revelation. Please. No, you're in Christ. You don't need a revelation. You, you, you don't need some... You don't need some experience of being in Christ. You might need the light to go on. You might need the revelation to wake up, whoa, I'm in Christ. But what you need is to come and drink of his spirit tonight. It's the spirit who reveals the things of Christ to us. It's the spirit who assures us of our sonship, of our adoption. It's the spirit who makes these things live to us. And as we come now, we're going to receive the Spirit. I wonder if the band could come. Lord Jesus, let's just stand before him. Lord Jesus, we come tonight. We're thirsty for you, Lord Jesus. We're thirsty for more of your Spirit because we want to be more fruitful for you. We want to radiate fruitfulness to our Father in heaven, the gardener. We want to be a very fruitful people. Therefore, tonight, we deliberately come and we ask, give us the Holy Spirit. Father in heaven, send forth your Spirit upon us. Lord Jesus, the great 
baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Come on us tonight. And we choose to come to you, Jesus, and drink in your Spirit. Now come, Holy Spirit.